You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Gravity Leadership. Maybe, well, wait a second. Maybe this uh-huh. is your first podcast. With yeah, us. you never know. Welcome to yeah. the Gravity Leadership yep. Podcast. <laughs> And perhaps some of you are back, and some of you will never be back, but this is your first time. <laughs> and we just want to say welcome. It's good to be with you today in your ear holes, and we are excited to continue. Um, does this end? Is this ending our series on power? It, it's one of the last ones, we're, probably. We're down to this the... This is one of the last... It's actually never ending. It, it probably is a never ending series, well, a little bit. When but. you name your organization Gravity Leadership, we're always going to be talking about power. Yeah. And we've been unpacking mm-hmm. for the last several months uh, how important it is that we talk about power and own and reckon with the fact that we have not uh, fully assimilated and appropriated the power that's in the cross through Jesus and the havoc that's created socially mm-hmm. and also spiritually in our churches. And today we have our good friend Rich Velotis joining us from New York City. Hey, Rich. What's going on, fellas? Great to be here. Yeah, yeah it is It is good to be here. Uh, Rich, would you, uh, other than living in uh, the Big Apple, would you give us an introduction, who you are and what you spend your time doing? Yeah, and it makes uh, it's important to say I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. The Big Apple is a big place. Mm. Uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, live in Queens, pastor in Queens, uh, and uh, I have the great privilege of pastoring uh, New Life Fellowship Church, a 31-year-old church that I've been at for 11 years and uh, been the lead pastor at since 2013. And so, um, yeah, our church, our, our church's claim to fame is uh, down the block from our building is uh, where McDowell's was from Coming to America. So Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall. Oh, nice. Uh, and nice. one of the scenes of Coming to America, they're they're cleaning outside. Our church is 
in the background. Oh. And uh, in addition to that, I'd say uh, <laughs> a, beautiful, a Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe's movie, A Beautiful Mind. There's a bar scene <laughs> and that bar scene was filmed in our church in the lower level. Oh, really? Uh, it's the longest bar in Queens. Our middle schoolers meet there. So there you have it. Nice. Your middle schoolers meet at the longest bar in Queens. That's right. Cheers, to church basement. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome, Rich. Great. Great, Rich. New Life Fellowship is a church that um, maybe came of some renown because the founding pastor, Pete Scazzaro, yep. wrote a book, uh, several books, around being emotionally healthy. Uh, yeah. Right? Emotionally yeah. healthy church, emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, was, that, was that one of the reasons you came there? Was that a draw for you? Yeah. You know, um, when I came across emotionally healthy spirituality in 2006, um, I was, I was drawn personally to the contemplative tradition, uh, from the age of about 20, 21. And so I'm 40 years old. So for the past 20 years, I've been deeply immersed in this, but yeah. I didn't know that there were other church, there were churches that were actually, um, practicing this stuff. And so when I read the book, I said, man, this is great. And mm-hmm. then I said, oh, this guy's, this church is doing this and in Queens, <laughs> and so um, I got connected with uh, the ministry. But yeah, I mean, I, I came to New Life because I was drawn to the contemplative tradition as well as uh, this tradition of interiority out of emotional health. Yeah. So uh, that's that's why I came. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that book uh, was a huge. That book, uh, emotionally healthy church and with healthy spirituality, yeah. put language to a lot of deep intuitions and longings I had. About not only what was wrong with me, <laughs> but what was wrong with the churches and systems I had been caught up in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, part of me feels like gravity leadership mm-hmm. uh, would have been called emotionally healthy leadership right. uh, had Pete Scazzaro... Not uh, taking the name. <laughs> no, there, there's tons of resonance. That there really is tons of resonance yeah. between, uh, between what we do and, and kind of what, what is espoused in there. Yeah, so, so if, you haven't, if you haven't read that, um, those resources from Pete... Um, Highly recommend them. Mm-hmm. But today, Rich, we've been doing a lot of critiquing and deconstructing of what's wrong with power in the world and how that those assumptions and those embodiments, we kind of tr- uh, transport or transfer those things into the church. We kind of run the world's playbook on power and hope to get uh, results in the church. And we do get results. They just, as we've been talking about, they just oftentimes are worldly results uh, because yeah. we're using worldly means. And we thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast to chat a little bit about what in the world is different about heavenly power, mm-hmm. kingdom power, Jesus power, uh, as uh, as it relates to or contrasted from worldly power. So where would you like to start? Well, I, I've been thinking of a lot about this, and um, there is, there's a passage of scripture that I've been basing a lot of talks on, framing it around whether we're talking about race whether we're talking about character formation um, and it's this passage out of Matthew 20 and I've been in it. I mean, I probably the last 15 months I've been in it, in and out of it. Ooh. And it's, it's, it's a passage um, where uh, the mother of James and John mother mm. uh, come to Jesus and they're asking for power, for authority, really for a seat at the table, but not just a seat at the table, mm. like the seats to the left and right of Jesus. And, um, She's asking for this seat, and Jesus, first of all, tells her, "You don't know what you're asking for, <laughs> and um, you don't know what this is gonna, what this means, the implications of this." 
And, uh, and then he asks another provocative question. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they, and they respond. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> no problem. And I, if you're buying, <laughs> yeah, we, we got it. We got it. I'll take two cups. And, <laughs> and, and then Jesus, uh, uh, painfully says, listen, uh, by the way, this is not my job to determine who gets to sit here and you're going to drink the cup. What, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. And so, but I, when I look at that, I, I think about the nature of power that we often don't know what it entails hmm. and uh, the cost of it and what it means to, to do power in a kingdom kind of a way. And then Jesus goes on to talk about, we do things differently in the kingdom where we don't lord it over we're servants. We're we, we're here to to wash feet. We're here to to do things differently. And so, when I think about power, that's a text that hmm. I've been drawing a lot of now. Implications of leadership, implications of marriage, implications of race. Hmm. Uh, but that's kind of like a foundational text for me in, in in the recent year and a half. Yeah. So in that in that then there's this sense in which. You're, you're sort of finding like our, our longing for power in this question that James and John through their mother bring to Jesus, right? Like, hey, let us sit yeah. on the right and the left. We just, we're confident that we would do some good things with that power. Like we can, we can handle it. We can drink the cup. Um, and I, I, I like that you brought up that passage because uh, it seems like Jesus is pointing to the cross, right? To say like, yeah. like there, you know, you want to be on my right and my left. Like I'm going to be enthroned in a way that <laughs> you're probably not expecting. Um, and so the cross kind of informs the way that power works in the kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, if, if that I'm, we talk about, and some of the talks that I've given talk about a cruciformity yeah, as, yeah. as the means and the way of power. It's not that power is a bad thing. Power is a good thing. Um, but the way we wield it and uh, come under it and is uh, we are to be very different from the world and it's mm. a cruciform power. Cruciform power. Yeah. So, so cruciform yeah. is a word that we like. Yeah. And I hear from people like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. So could you, could you unpack that? What are some attributes or characteristics of cruciform power and how is that distinct from other power? Well, I, I think for the sake of just simplicity, cruciform power looks like Jesus on the cross Mm. And it's vulnerable. Um, it doesn't make sense to the world. Um, it's 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 counterculture. It's counter instinctual. Um, and so while while Jesus is being crucified uh, in, in a very powerless position, uh, this is the power of God for the salvation of the world. And so um, cruciformity is Jesus on the cross, uh, and it's that in all of its simplicity. Uh, vulnerability and perceived weakness. And so when I talk about power, um, I have to begin by saying, what does it look like to model this kind of vulnerability, perceived weakness um, for the sake of um, a larger transformation that God is trying to do in me and mm. through the community that I'm a part of. Mm. So in short, it looks like Jesus on a cross. So and it's very painful. Um, but I think it's ultimately what uh, the world is longing for and the path towards redemption in our local and, and global spaces. Hmm. All right. So I hear humility. I hear vulnerability. vulnerability I hear weakness. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's, let's, can we bring this down to like ground level for you, Rich? Like what, how does that work its way out in dealing with a large church in Queens where people act like people 
and, <laughs> and you have, you know, conflict and you yeah. have, you know what I mean? Leadership like, responsibility, yeah. you've got accountability and stewardship of an institution. Like how does, how does cruciformity work itself out in those yeah. environments, right? Any, any on the yeah. ground tactical practices uh, that guide that for you? No, absolutely. And just to give you, I think it's helpful to give context because um, our church, um, it's it's a very large church in Queens. We probably have um, uh, on a given Sunday, um, you know, 14 to 1500 people, which means it's part of our community. It's probably people don't come to church every Sunday anymore. Uh, so it's probably right. 1800 to 2000 people are part of our church. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, we have 75 nations represented. Wow. Uh, very diverse socioeconomically, very diverse generationally, um, culturally, I mean, theologically, politically. I, I'd say 30% of our church voted for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election, 30% for Donald Trump, um, 20% probably abstained, another 20% wrote in Batman or Spider-Man <laughs> uh, as their candidate. Uh, and so it's Maybe. very, um, there are lots of tensions especially in the post 2016 world in the church that I lead. And so how do I now um, demonstrate power in in, in this kind of a way? So, but but very practically, I think what makes cruciform power uh, different from the world is it it starts with, uh, it starts with me Hmm. and how I choose to lead myself. Uh, And I, I think, Cruciformity, the, the painful, it's easy to tell people what to do and to give instructions and such. But I think cruciform power is about am I doing the hard work of first um, curious, compassionate, but honest self examination? Hmm. And uh, it is out of that place where I can, I'm trying to remain close to myself, um, so also remaining close to others. Uh, especially in times of high anxiety, which is a good definition of differentiation. Uh, and uh, But how can I remain close to myself if I don't uh, know myself, if I'm not practicing a, a curious, compassionate, honest self-examination? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, power is like, I, I mean, am I honest with myself of how I am using power? Um, where am I feeling entitled um, where is, um, this sense of, uh, you, you owe me, uh, mm. I'm, I'm the pastor here. Uh, you need to listen, uh, listen to me. And, and I mean, that stuff creeps in me on a regular basis. I mentioned in some talks that, um, when I became the lead pastor at new life, uh, the first thing that I lost, uh, and not even just a lead pastor, I became a pastor at new life. The first thing I lost was, uh, parking lot privileges. <laughs> and and in Queens, we don't have a lot of parking spaces yeah. in Queens. Yeah. Uh, so folks have to often circle around the block to find a parking spot. And uh, the first thing I lost was they said, great, you're on our staff now. Congratulations. By the way, you can't park in the parking lot anymore. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is, this is terrible. And so to this day, I don't park. I'm the lead pastor of the church. There's no parking spot that says like lead pastor on it. Yeah. Uh, like I have to get there 30 minutes before the service starts, 40 minutes, find the parking spot mm-hmm. and walk. And uh, there are days where I'm like, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> and many days like that. And then I realize, do I feel entitled here? Yeah. Uh, but I think it's yeah. a great demonstration of the power here. I'm, we're going to lead a different way. And I never forget watching to this day, Pete Scazzaro, he's been doing this for many years. I see him walking as I'm coming into church, like three blocks down. 
And here this guy is world-renowned author, pastor, and here he is just walking three, four blocks down. Mm. Uh, he could have easily said, I need a parking spot. I need to preach. I need to get here on time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we decided to do it differently. And so, uh, so I, I think it starts with self-examination. And very practically, I think like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a life of real listening. It's a life of listening. And I'll give you something anecdotal, and then maybe we can continue to riff on this. But we had a gospel and race conference a few months ago. And we invited some really some world-class practitioners and uh, theologians to come and talk about gospel race. How is this working out? And uh, our church, as I mentioned, is very diverse. I think we've been making great progress over 31 years. And uh, about two weeks after the gospel and race conference, there was a a group of of African-Americans in our community who sent me an email saying, "Um, Rich, can we meet with you? Because... um, we feel, uh, and th- they weren't speaking for everyone in the, in the congregation, uh, but they say, we feel like um, we're invisible and our voices are not heard. And I'm thinking, here we are, we're, we're very diverse church, we're doing great things. And I could have said to myself, you know what, uh, everyone at some point is not going to feel listened to, uh, and especially right. in a diverse church like ours. Yeah. Um but we took me and our executive team took a two hour conversation to listen. And it was very painful to hear mm. folks in our congregation say, we feel invisible. Uh, we don't feel like our stories are being told. Uh, and in that moment I had a legal pad and I say this not to say like, Hey, I'm doing a, such a great job. It was very painful actually to listen there. And I wanted to say a lot, uh, <laughs> but I, we had a two hour session where I just listened and then scheduled mm. another one to have some follow up dialogue at that moment. But I think, it's um, creating space to listen as, as a leader in this space here. So, but that's cruciform. It's, it's, I'm not fixing, I'm not solving, I'm not self-justifying, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. So those are two kind of things that come to mind initially. Yeah, and, and I, what I hear about your listening isn't, this is the way to pacify and placate. This is a tactic to use to help disturbed people feel heard. Yeah. And, I, and I, I do this thing, this technique to them, and then I go on with my life. But rather, yeah. you're actually listening. Like, yeah. as, though, as though you have something to learn. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I mean, we teach a skill at New Life called you know, incarnational listening, in which mm. we invite people to leave their world. This is a pattern after Jesus, obviously, leaving <laughs> his world, entering into a new world, and allowing his life to be shaped um, uh, by this new world while he holds on to himself. And so it's, you know, it's, he's God, he's fully God, fully made. So he's holding on to himself in one way mm-hmm. and entering into the space of others. And yeah. so in that space where I, I'm trying to leave my world, uh, enter into their space. And I don't fully always understand why holding on to myself. And I took, uh, I, I took maybe two, three pages of notes as I just listened and just sat with it. It was very painful actually. Yeah. Did you agree with it? I mean, were you fighting like, justifying, defending, rationalizing um, as you sat there? Or, or were you able to listen to them with a non-anxious, condemning presence? Like how'd, that, how'd that work for you in, internally? I'd say um, uh, 30, 70% of the time I was non-anxious listening. 30% mm-hmm. of the time I'm going, now wait a second. You know, like, <laughs> Hold <laughs> on. Uh, Hold on. I walk like, three blocks to the church yeah. every day. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you serious, really? Yeah, yeah. But I knew, but I knew going in that my task was not to defend myself. My yeah. task was not to have 
kind of like in the Dallas Willard sort of way, the last word that was like, I'm yeah. not here to have the last word. I'm here to uh, let you have the last word. And I, I recognize the level of power I have and I could yeah. have easily have the last word here. Mm. Um, but my goal was not to, it was to listen, it was to learn. And I found that even in the simple practice of uh, ex- that exercises, you just listening, mm-hmm. uh, it solved probably 80% of the problems. Mm. Uh, not, they still wanted some certain thing, had some requests about certain things that they wanted to get done, which I didn't say, yes, we're going to do them. I said, we're going to go back and I'll talk to some of our pastors and elders and we'll discern together. Um, but I think 80% of the tensions was relieved because I just sat there with my pen and legal pad. I brought out the legal pad. I didn't bring out like my, my cell phone notes there. I brought out that a literal legal pad. Yeah. So yellow hey. too. Pretty nice. So <laughs> what, what's important is I think there's so many people, Rich, that we interface with. And Hartman, I want to hear from you on this too, because we've had conversations offline about this. So many people that have these convictions, they're, con- they're convicted to lead in humility. They're convicted to lead in uh, cruciform love. Mm-hmm. But then when, when push comes to shove, when four people show up with the 95 theses and they want to nail them to your parking sign, you know what I mean? Like your, your pastoral parking sign. Like what happens is, um, you know, the gates of hell break loose within us. And we, we yeah. don't have the formational readiness to do to live our convictions. But a couple things I heard, I, I want to maybe name them, and maybe you can say them better than this, or uh, if you have things to add. But one is, uh, to lead in cruciformity means that you, you actually live as though you have nothing to lose except for what you'd want to lose anyway. Yeah. You're not guarding or protecting or defending anything. It's like, if... The worst thing that could happen here is that they give me one or two or three or 30 ways that I need to repent, mm-hmm. which is actually the best thing that could happen to me today. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And that's no, like I mean, such yeah. a different way of embodying power, right? Yeah. I, I think this is why, uh, in many respects, Jesus says, blessed are um, the poor in spirit. Mm. Uh, for the, and I think when, when Jesus talks about the poor in spirit, I, I think about the poor have nothing to prove, nothing to protect, nothing to possess. Hmm. And uh, that, and Jesus says the kingdom belongs to these kind of people yeah. free enough to receive like the, the abundance of God's life. And um, I, I think if I'm living in this kind of way, I believe I have nothing to prove, nothing to protect, nothing to possess. Yes. And I, and Matt, I think you, you're nailing it there. If, if I can live in this kind of, that, this is freedom. This is, I don't have a false self to protect. Uh, I, I have lots to learn. I have nothing to prove. Now it's e- easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think this truly is the way of of freedom. And I've had my own. I've been in at this church eleven years, seven years as the lead pastor. Um, and it hasn't always been like this. But I, I think in recent years, recent months, really, I've experienced a level of freedom, interior freedom, hmm. from the need to be triggered every time someone <laughs> has something negative to say, which is a lot of times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just, I'm reflecting on that. I think there's like in my own life, I have this, like the feeling of letting go of some of those things is like fear comes up. I, I think we really have to trust that as we embrace this, you know, this way of this way of being, as we embrace you know, having nothing to prove, nothing to possess, nothing to protect. Like, as we, as we embrace that, we really have to trust that God is actually present and that God is actually working. Because so I think the anxiety that oftentimes keeps us from living in that freedom is the fear that 
like nothing good is going to happen through my leadership. Unless Unless, I make it happen. Unless I make it happen, unless I hold on to this, unless I can prove this, unless I, you know. And so there's this fear of like, if I let go of this stuff, like, is anything good going to happen? Like, is God actually with me? Is God going to do anything? Is God really active here in ways that I, like, if I don't control it, will anything good happen? But that's the irony, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the irony is that the only way that God does we we actually we actually don't get God to show up. Uh we actually just decrease our resistance to the God who's showing up. And so one of the ways we do that is we, you know, mm. our flesh yeah. says to us, justify yourself. <laughs> you know, create wow. create all the benefits of salvation that you need from your control, right? Yeah. Protection yeah. and possessions yeah. and approval and things yeah. like that. Right, but then if we if we actually like like Rich is talking about, if we dare to trust mm-hmm. that we don't that we already have that we don't yeah. need it yeah. in this in this conversation, nothing is threatened mm-hmm. here. Then then we actually create space for those things to happen. Yeah, we discover what God might do, and it might be surprising. Yeah, which is why I think we. I mean, when we gather on Sundays for worship and. Uh, preaching and communion and all that um we are confessing we are a resurrected people uh and following a resurrected lord and the resurrection for me is is not just hey we we get um we get new bodies when jesus makes all things new vindication he's vindicating jesus for the the self-emptying way of the cross and so we trust in this resurrection that when we choose this way of cruciformity, this is the kind of life that God ultimately vindicates. And mm. it might not happen in the, the time we want. It might not happen in the moment. But we are a hopeful people believing that vindication will indeed come. This, this is who God vindicates, people who have chosen the, the, the road of cruciformity. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's what we live with hope. We're, we're people of hope. Yes, yes. Um, which is... Not easy at all, but I mean, this is why we need the body of Christ to hold us to this yeah. resurrection truth. Yeah. Well, we've, we've almost not learned to surrender to his presence in the midst of any type of conflict or any type of challenge. One, one of my mentors always tells me when things get heated in the room, um, ask yourself the question, how would an emotionally secure person respond to this? <laughs> and, and pretend like you're emotionally secure. In the moment. <laughs> so in that moment, just... We, we've lost, it's almost like our culture numbs us to self. It's almost as if we, we're, we're, we're not aware of what's going on inside of us. And so because we're unaware of what's happening inside of us, we're, we're unable to respond with grace and with mercy and with security. Mm, yep. so, mm-hmm. so what are some practices, Rich, that help us get to a place where we are self-aware in that moment of conversation in that moment of leadership where something hinges on what we're doing, how do we become more self-aware rather than trying to co-opt something within someone else? Yeah, great yeah. question. And um, I I have the answer. Oh, <laughs> Only be- listen up, hit listen record. Up. Yep, yeah. I have an answer. And, and, and I'll tell you why. I, I have an answer because um, I have struggled this for, for many years and I, I, I really experienced a breakthrough last uh, November, October, November, uh, a, a personal breakthrough that hmm. freed me from the shackles of, of all this inner turmoil that I was experiencing that on the outside, no one would know. Hmm. And um, 
what I began doing, so uh, just a quick background in August of last, I've been studying family systems theory for a long, uh, over a decade. And yeah. part of that is because I'm, I'm part of New Life Fellowship Church. Pete did his doctorate in family systems theory, focusing on genogram. And so, I mean, hmm. I've been discipled by this guy for a, a long time. And so I started reading this stuff for many years. But last year, I started diving deeper into it and reading some of the original source material, the Murray Bowen, the Ed Friedman, uh, the Peter uh, Steinke, the Ronald Richardson, uh, these folks here who are giving good language, who have given good language to it. And so I started reading it and uh, focusing on differentiation, trauma, um, genograms and such. And at one point, what I began to do was take um, a ruthless inventory of my reactions. Hmm. And uh, there was just a season where I was, I was, I found myself triggered a lot hmm. and it's not triggered by everyone, but there's particular people that trigger me. Um, someone could, I, I mean, I greet people in the lobby every Sunday after services and not everyone is happy with what I said, but <laughs> everyone who has a critical remark doesn't trigger me the same. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, thanks for sharing, whatever. But then another person shares and I'm just like thinking about it for two days. Yes. Uh, and so I started doing inventory on my reactions. I don't know how I came to that that hmm. moment of like, Hey, I need to just, but for maybe there was a three week period in November where every moment where I, I felt an anxiety rising up, hmm. whether it came from my spouse, whether it came from the board chair, whether it came from Pete, uh, whether it came from a, a long term, uh, longstanding congregant, uh, whether it came from uh, a person, a nationally known figure who, uh, said a word of not even criticism, but some, some feedback. Hmm. I started taking down uh, my reactions to uh, these scenarios. And what I was doing with the reactions, I would, what's, what happened? What was my reaction? What's the story I'm telling myself? Mm-hmm. What's the gospel have to say to this? Hmm. This was like, I was doing a lot of work, man. And I was, yeah. I, there was maybe two or three of these a day. Hmm. I mean, that, that's how triggered I was getting with emails and then I'm on social media. I'll say something <laughs> on social media and I have a lot to say on social media. Uh, and I say a lot. I, I mean, yeah. it was said about Thomas Merton. He didn't have any like uh, undocumented thought, you know, everything <laughs> he thought was documented on mm. some paper. And I feel the same awesome about my life with just Twitter and all that. <laughs> but because I go out and say things, I'm going to get pushback. So I, for three weeks straight, I had a file just, just on my phone here. And I would prayerfully reflect on those things. What happened? What was my reaction? What's the story I'm telling myself? What's the gospel say? Almost in those layers there. Yeah. And I found that in three weeks of doing this, um, I started to, uh, I was almost looking um, uh, objectively at myself mm-hmm. uh, as if I was looking at another person yep. and yes. going, if I were to pastor that person, what would I say? Mm. Good. And um, I started, first of all, I started getting really generous and gentle with myself oh, wow. uh, yes. as I was going through just, and it was really a compassionate curiosity. It wasn't like this obsessive, I was really being compassionately curious with yes. my interior life. And all I know is I did this for three weeks. And at one point I just felt a break, like I'm not as bothered or triggered. Not that I'm like a fully non-anxious presence. I don't think anyone ever lives up to that reality. But I just found myself not being as triggered 
and carrying things internally as much as I did. I can't explain. The only way I could explain it is this. I preached on Jesus turning water into wine. And before he does the miracle, he tells the servants to fill each jar until, to the brim. He has mm-hmm. them do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. With, they didn't have like a hose in the backyard. He had them just <laughs> all that work. Yeah. And after they did all that work to the brim, a miracle happened. And I thought, mm-hmm. I have to do a lot of work here. And at some moment, Jesus is going to surprise me. And when he surprises me, I can't take him credit for either, uh, even though I've done the work. And so, and so to Dallas Willard's point, you know, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to do the work. So uh, that's one way for me, paying attention to my reactions as a simple practice mm. uh, with regularity and discipline. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, and, I, and I've led other people along these lines as well, folks in, in my church. And they have experienced some freedom as well. But I think it gives you an opportunity to look outside yourself and go, man, I'm, I'm really caught up in a lot of these yes. internal uh, yes. scripts, messages, antagonisms that are just destroying me. Hmm. I, I need to be free. Good. Something I think shifts in our leadership when we start recognizing our own opportunities to be transformed in the midst of our leadership. It's almost like pastoring is our remedial discipleship program, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. this is this every day I get these opportunities for me to grow in the spirit and to learn mm-hmm. to follow him and learn to surrender and learn to lay down myself. And this is the program that I go through in order for this to happen. And something yeah. redemptive happens yeah. in that space. Yeah. That's yeah. Really good. I, my, my responsibility is to position myself to be transformed by Jesus. I can't transform yeah. anybody else. And, and ironically, if I now make my own transformation, the priority of my life I think that what begins to happen is that get that's a bit contagious and that starts mm-hmm. spreading. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now I'm preaching differently, I'm leading differently, I'm counseling differently out of a free true self as opposed to this false self, uh, performance oriented self that mm-hmm. has to be contrived and created. I, I think paradoxically, people are more free because I'm free now. Yes, yes they are. Free. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so true. I mean, Rich, you're speaking our language here. I mean, we this is basically what we train leaders to do in our cohorts. Rich, your process you went I mean, through yeah. is exactly what we do with people in our yeah. cohorts. Yeah. And we train them to yeah. do it. Yeah, instead so of getting think, caught inside of the thing, you, yeah. you start to see like what's my reaction, like what's the yeah. story I'm telling myself. Because it's what you know? we do, yeah. Rich. I think you're brilliant. brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Your answer to the question was great. (laughs) Yes. No, it's my experience too. I just want to say like, uh, even using some of the same language we're using, and it it really, it's it's deeply encouraging. Mm -hmm. I I really feel like there's this uh, beautiful thing in the kingdom that transcends uh, normal boundary lines between different kinds of Christians or different theological streams where there's a, this work of letting the cross start in the pit of your stomach, in the in the midst of your guts, mm. and letting it work its way out from there. Like we see this all the time, and on this podcast and the coaching mm-hmm. we do, and and your own personal story, Rich, and it's yeah. deeply, deeply encouraging because it's 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 the hope to transform the world. Yes, you know mm-hmm. this resurrection life that co- that gets from the ground up, mm-hmm. from our bones up. You know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's the heart of contemplation. Well, and, you know, you, you yeah, talked about so contemplation much earlier. So much of our training on 
here's the five ways to get here. Here's the three ways to develop this. So it's this technical, tactical style of leadership training rather than this adaptive self-awareness. So, so the work that you're doing, Rich, is so, so valuable and mm-hmm. so important. So I just want to affirm and just continue to say, keep going, yeah. man. Keep writing, yeah. keep speaking, yeah. keep sharing those thoughts unfiltered. And I would say, I mean, I don't know um, how many pastors are thinking about this, but uh, next year, an election year, I think uh, around the world and around the church in particular in the United States, uh, the in a post-2016 world, um, we better be doing this work. Yes. And I don't know of how many pastors are actually doing this, but it's probably going to get even more divisive and tense in the coming year. And if pastors are not leading the way to be non-anxious presence, holding on to themselves Mm -hmm. while, or staying close to themselves while staying close to others in times of high anxiety, um, we have no chance to work for any kind of transformation in our community. So um, that's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. So rich, rich says, make contemplation great again. And we, and we affirm it, Rich. Uh, we affirm it. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for sharing this with us. Where can we, if we're listening and um, we want to connect more with you, how would we do that? Uh, you can go on Twitter, just uh, Rich Velotis, at Rich Velotis. Uh, as a heads up, I'm not sure when this is being released here, but I'm going on sabbatical starting Monday. Oh, oh. And I'll be off of social media for three months, so pray for me um, <laughs> as I... Uh, go away I, I told my wife that oh. if any breaking news happens like with the knicks whatever like that that yeah, the- um i will jump on her uh facebook and twitter yeah, yeah, yeah. just can't be my yeah, own yeah i'll text Durant's you it's coming any day now, i'll text buddy. you if kd comes the yeah. next i pray yeah. I, 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 I pray so uh yeah. there um on instagram as well the same uh, ritual lotus uh, new life dot nyc um that's where um you know, see sermons and such. And okay. I would say, I mean, I, I, I announced this last week, but some of the things I'm talking about, I, um, I just signed the contract to, with Waterbrook to, to write uh, a book called The Deeply Formed Life, oh, uh, in which I'm holding together the five streams uh, or, uh, or root, real pillars, really, of our church, of the monastic tradition, race, interiority, what we, ju- what we just talked about, um, sexuality and justice as wow. a means of a paradigm for following Jesus in this world. So um, I'm going to be unpacking a lot of that and hopefully that'll come out in the fall of 2020. But um, awesome, man. Great. I've been working on that for a while. Great. Good. Well, Good. We, if we don't have you on before, then we'll have you on to talk about that. That yeah. sounds like an awesome project. That'd be sweet. Enjoy yeah. your sabbatical, brother. Thanks, fellas. Yep. Peace. Peace. Blessings. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.